Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended, nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including, but not limited to, crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. CF Benchmarks Limited is not affiliated with Cloudwall Capital Incorporated, and CF Benchmarks Limited does not sanction, endorse, or recommend any products or services offered by Cloudwall Capital Incorporated. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delliger, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hey guys, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. Today, the main topic is risk. Now that's pretty broad, but we're thinking about risk in cryptocurrencies, a very, very pertinent topic for that asset class. Now we are more interested in risk in terms of the management sense. So we're looking towards risk management models and uh, value at risk and stuff like that. To that end, we are joined by our esteemed guest, Mr. Kyle Downey, who is the co-founder and CEO of a firm called Cloudwall. Now, just a little bit of a thumbnail history of Kyle. Kyle spent around about 17 years at Morgan Stanley, where through various roles, he was uh, facing the prospect and tasks around about uh, risk management, particularly as it pertains to trading. So models and applications of various sorts to uh, enable the optimum risk within the executable uh, framework for um, assets that Morgan Stanley traders were participating with. So we are going to talk about Cloudwall, we're going to talk about risk, and we're going to talk about everything else that uh, Kyle is uh, involved in right now. So Kyle, we are so stoked to have you. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. So I've spent over 20 years uh, in kind of Wall Street IT, most of it at Morgan Stanley. And a big chunk of it was leading a department called automated risk trading, which kind of intersection of trading tech and quant for a lot of those in-house systems. But a decade ago, kind of came across Bitcoin as many of us did uh, down the rabbit hole. Uh, so in the fall of 2021, after many years left and kind of looking around at the space, one of the things that was really remarkable in the fall of 2021 is a lot of the firms that, you know, in traditional finance were building risk systems, your your bar is your risk metrics, your Moody's analytics, all of these companies did not exist at all in crypto. And and risk is fundamental to finance. Like it would be as remarkable as custody being missing or trading being missing. So even though I'd spent many years in electronic trading technology and, and really more on the algo execution side than the risk side, that was the thing that we really leaned into and said, look, this is the, the thing that needs investment right now for the industry. And kind of out of that history over many years at MS, 
I had crossed paths uh, with Jai Wee in Singapore, who's our COO and co-founder for Cloudwall, as well as our CTO, Marcus Savellis, who I originally hired in Shanghai when I was working out in Asia. Uh, so there's definitely like a connection to that former life uh, that was was carried forward into Cloudwall as well. Yeah. So so let's um, talk about Cloudwall, shall we? Um, I believe that your principal application or product is called Serenity. Is that correct? That's correct. The Serenity Portfolio Risk System, uh, it's, it's a PMS with an embedded set of risk models across spot and derivatives and a whole suite of tools that do stress testing, VAR analysis, you can do risk attribution. Uh, we built the, the world's first commercial grade factor risk model for cryptocurrencies. Uh, so you can do analysis of your crypto portfolios wherever they come from, whether they came from a wallet or from an exchange or from an institutional custodian, kind of merge them all together and run that sophisticated analysis using tools much like the ones that were available to those equities and equity derivatives traders that I used to work with at Morgan Stanley, but calibrated and fine-tuned for the specific needs of digital assets. Real quick, before we go too much further into you know the product suite and the specifics of it, um, would you be able to define your framework for how you define risk or how you look at risk? Yeah, so Ken kind of alluded to this. Like the problem with saying that you do risk is that every walk, everyone walks away with like, oh, it's this type of risk that I normally think about, and there's like twenty, uh, you know, even like limiting it to finance. So we think about it uh, really in four quadrants as like high level relevant financial risks for portfolio managers. So market risk, liquidity risk, operational risk, and credit risk. So in the initial versions of our product, the focus has been market risk, but the view is that those four types of risks are the ones that a portfolio manager making decisions about the allocation uh, in their portfolio, what they select. These are the things that they're thinking about. These are the things that they want to monitor. And of course, the fascinating thing about digital assets is that all of these risks and many of the models actually that we're kind of using as starting points they have analogs in traditional finance. Like we're not starting from zero on these things, but the particulars and the way that they're weighted is very different in crypto. Uh, so, you know, taking a concrete example, you know, a crypto trader on any given day thinks far more about liquidity risk and operational risk than your average equities trader does. You know, there's no analog to smart contract risk or infrastructure risk. You know, Solana is down today again. Uh, or you know, anything like that, uh, you know, operational risk, which was something I did pretty early in my career, was like almost just this little corner of financial risk that like, oh yeah, we should also worry about that. Uh, but it's it's really dominant in crypto, which I think is one of the things that's, that's fascinating about sort of how to think about risk in this space, that it's kind of the same themes, but uh, different emphasis across those themes. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to kind of, you know, break things up and segment it as far as the different categories and stuff like that. So, you know, since this podcast is going to talk a lot about risk, I thought it'd be useful just to kind of gain some perspective for our listeners and uh, viewers and provide some context on some just high level statistics here. So, you know, over the past five years, digital assets have averaged about triple the volatility of stocks and commodities. Um, you know, I pulled the 90-day annualized volatilities and I used our CF broad cap index uh, floating weight, which is kind of the most 
institutionalized, broadest exposure of, of digital assets that you can kind of find in, 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 the, in the markets right now. And uh, that, that clocked in on average for the past five years on a 90 uh, day annualized volatility at approximately like 70%. Um, this compares to about 19.5% for the S&P, 15% for the MSCI Acquis, and also the Bloomberg Commodity Index. And if you're wondering, just in case you have global bonds, which were, you know, just around under five. So the point here is just, you know, this is kind of like you know, we've seen these assets kind of trend lower over recent time. You see, you know, as they get more developed, the volatilities have kind of compressed and converged more with uh, U.S. equities. But there's still, you know, a lot of volatility here. And I think, you know, practitioners, portfolio managers need tools to kind of really understand uh, you know, what they're dealing with. And so they can, you know, really uh, measure their exposure, not lose track, you know, you know, take excess risk. So just some little extra stuff to, to throw in there to provide some color. I would just add, you know, risk, it's, it, there's always a dual nature to that, right? Because those portfolio managers, they're also making choices about the risks that they want to be exposed to, you know, because they see opportunity and actually capturing that risk. They have a view on it as opposed to ones that they want to hedge and avoid. And, you know, a number of people who I used to work with um, on the desk, uh, particularly on the equity derivative side, you know, looked at that those numbers and said, well, it's like the market I know, but more. Like, <laughs> it's sort of amplified. Uh, and, you know, so I saw some great opportunities, not just in arbitrage, but, you know, just in the extremes, that those extremes are, are quite hard to model, you know, particularly around volatility, something is very well studied. And so you can certainly pull a lot of those lessons on those extremes and say, look, if I have a better handle on this than everybody else, I can trade more effectively around that very high volatility and, you know, get exceptional returns. Yeah, I think now is a really good time to maybe talk, you know, into more detail about, you know, the products and service services that Cloudwall offers. You can go into Serenity a little bit more, just kind of expand a little bit more on those uh, features and functionalities on how you know, uh, a practitioner would use it. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with what he does today, but I, I'll at the end touch a little bit on the direction that we're going because the space is quite diverse and, you know, an initial startups product is never going to cover that full range. Uh, so today we cover um, C5 products. So, so uh, listed on listed on exchanges, spot and derivatives. Um, we cover 130 different tokens and then futures perpetuals and Bitcoin and Ethereum options, uh, all on kind of like the major institutional exchanges. Uh, we connect uh, portfolios from many different sources. So we can provide a merged view, say of your hot wallet and your cold wallet. So everything you hold. One of the key things about you know risk and portfolio management systems is there is a problem of completeness. Like if you don't have everything, then you might be missing a really key element of risk or for instance, if like, say you don't have the options and those are currently hedging a lot of the risk, you might actually overstate your estimate of how much risk you have. So you, you kind of have to have all of it to, 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 to have a good view of the risk. So we pull that all together and then we offer a number of models. So it's a multi-model platform. You can have multiple versions of models and we have models uh, for different purposes. So for your kind of stock picker style or Delta one uh, type portfolio manager, uh, we have that um, factor risk model, uh, which is a, a Barra like model, if you will. Technically, it's a Fama French model. And that essentially says, okay, 
I'm going to break down uh, my portfolio volatility, uh, not into assets or sectors, uh, but into stylistic factors. Like it acts like other things that tend to have momentum properties, or it acts like a small cap or things like that. Very common method in traditional finance. And as you have a larger diverse portfolio, it's another way of kind of reasoning about the types of risks that you're exposed to. So that was the first model we put out. Uh, we built a full VAR and CVAR model. So this helps you kind of characterize the downside and upside tails of your distributions and you know, see, are you kind of getting asymmetric payoffs from your exposure to you know the upside as opposed to the downside? A uh, very common way of just monitoring and setting limits on risk. Uh, and of course, to support derivatives, like a full volatility model as well. And then structured around that, we have tools for attribution. So how to kind of break down and explain the sources of risk by those different dimensions, like asset and sector and factor. And we have stress testing, like what happens under extremes. Uh, and particularly with derivatives and uh, you know, ultimately more exotic nonlinear products, that's where it gets really interesting. You know, you, you've got something in your Ave position auto liquidates and it's compensated by your option on Deribit or you know, your DeFi option vault or, or whatever. And, you know, this this is crypto, right? It's like, you don't really talk about black swans, like a swan comes along every day. And so many risk managers, they think first and foremost about stress testing and scenario analysis. They've got a long list and we have them built into the system of like classic crypto scenarios like the 2020 COVID crash that they want to kind of say, all right, look, for our current portfolio positions, what if that happened again tomorrow? And importantly, where would the largest losses come from? So to get some sense of the sensitivities in the portfolio as well. And so we offer all of that today in Serenity. Well, there's a lot of good stuff that I think we we, we can talk about right there. I just want, I think we have to be kind of a little bit selective because I think we could probably be here for, you know, multiple hours talking about this. But, uh, you know, one thing that you said, you, you listed some of these uh, factors, you know, style characteristics that you could model around. I guess, you know, for someone who's always, kind of interested in this stuff how, how are you optimizing your your delta one like to what specific uh you know set series of tokens do you have like a benchmark or how are you looking at it so this has evolved over time you, you, you know there there is there is we, uh half of our team is called the research team uh we actually publish uh papers on our website on some of the research we've done into these models and that model has evolved the the, the current latest experimental version is 1.6 and uh, one of the things that we changed over time was the original version, the uh, the market factor uh, was based on just everything we had in the database. Uh, so we didn't have a concept of what in uh, in the practice is called an estimation universe, like a subset of that that is kind of curated. Um, uh, and then if you run the regression for all of your supported assets on that smaller subset. So right now... Uh, we have the 131 in the database going up to 600, but our estimation universe is around 75. So we don't use today um, a specific benchmark index for that purpose. Uh, it is actually generated by our system. Uh, but, you know, as you would expect, like it's it's generally the larger market caps within that set. But we put in exclusions. So there's, there's some interesting research that was done uh, in the early days around factor risk in crypto. Uh, that so looked at the meme coins 
and basically said, like, you need a whole factor just for the meme coins. Like, nothing else explains them. They jokingly called it the Doge factor because, like, the best explanation for Doge is Doge itself. Is that driven by, like, Elon Musk tweets or what? what's the main variable that, that determines the, the beta on that? That's right. So we have to take that out of that estimation universe because it'll actually skew it. Okay. That's important to know. One thing that you mentioned there was just this, uh, you know, this, I think, challenge that us practitioners in the digital assets, asset space always are always encountering, which is the quality of data. You know, when we do our, uh, for example, when we constructed the, the broad cap universe, you know, we looked uh, very deeply into the free float supply of these tokens. And of course, people will probably think, oh, there's just thousands and thousands of tokens. But, you know, when you actually distill it down to what an institution can actually, you know, feasibly be trading in and out of, um, that universe shrinks down tremendously. And, you know, I think we're just around 30 or so tokens. So that's just, just to give you an idea. So what are some of these things that you've encountered when you're trying to bridge this gap between, you know, the TradFi and digital assets world with the, with the data and, and uh, the quality of the data, for example? That is a great question. And unfortunately, I, I do have a tendency to get on my hobby horse about data problems in crypto. So I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, and just highlight a couple of things. So the biggest issue is that the standards around data uh, um, in traditional finance have they've evolved over decades. And you just don't have that in crypto. This is an industry that cannot even agree on the symbol for the most popular token in the entire universe. Uh, and you know, so you, you, you don't have a common symbology. Uh, you don't have a common taxonomy. You don't have the equivalent of GIX out there. Um, and so if you are running a risk system, which at its foundation is a giant data lake merging together data from all over, from exchanges, ultimately from on-chain, et cetera, uh, you know, just classic data problem. You have to join those data sets together. There are no common keys in crypto. You have to create them yourself. Uh, and so the data engineering just simply to do that initial analysis is really hard. And then, as you said, like there's just the exchanges are not as mature. A lot of the aggregators are not as mature. Uh, you don't have anywhere near the, the history that you have, say, in equities. Uh, and so, you know, as a, as, as a result, part of the problem is it's just data quality. It's scrubbing things. It's knocking things out because they're going to throw off the model. And, you know, we've had to explain to some of our data providers, like a lot of your clients, they're just doing a chart. They don't care if things are a little bit off. We're training a model. We're deriving things from your data. So we're sort of the derivative of your data. And we're thus far more sensitive to data quality problems than some of your other clients are. And so often, like we're raising alerts internally and then going back to our data providers pretty much in real time on behalf of our clients. And that's part of the value of what we're doing. Like, I can't imagine for a very small hedge fund, you know, just being on top of that in a 24 by seven market. So you really kind of need to have that cleansing layer on top, whether it's for your indices or, you know, for your, for your risk models, uh, if you're dealing with the raw data, it's a mess. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, when I first started researching digital assets, just having that humble moment when I realized, wow, you know, that this isn't the data that I was used to when we're, we're studying, you know, traditional asset classes and it's, you know, on a Bloomberg terminal and you're just downloading everything, spitting it all out. And the history is limited. Uh, you know, the, the sources vary as far as the quality. So you really have to maybe, you know, be a little more creative and 
and try and be a problem solver just to kind of do even some basic analysis and, and build narratives and stuff like that. So I fully sympathize with that. Um, you mentioned one thing in there where uh, you were talking about the comparison to Gix yeah. and a taxonomy. And that's something that here at CFB, we're, you know, we're trying to solve this problem. So, you know, I think using sectors and sector exposures as an example for digital assets and carrying that over from TradFi actually works super well because it's it's very direct. Uh, and just like you have segments, then categories and industries, um, what have you in the in the TradFi world, you know, we have this also in the digital blockchain economy. So, you know, here at CFB, we've uh, we use our digital asset classification structure, which is we call it CFDAX, and it's a very purpose centric approach to categorizing these tokens. Um, you know, case in point, if you have protocols in the DeFi space um, that provide services like trading or lending. Um, you know, these are, you know, considered in the finance category. You also have, just like you have utilities, we have, you know, these settlement protocols, these categories that are uh, providing the backbone infrastructure of storing all the data on the blockchain. So it's it's very similar. Um, so I think, you know, if if you look at, you know, the, the risk tools that you all are working with in Cloudwall um, and, you know, having this taxonomy, these two things could be kind of augmented together you know, would you agree? It's, it seems like a pretty straightforward fit. Yes. And, and in, in fact, in some of our tools, we're, we're already using sector uh, hierarchies. Very common aspect of risk systems is, you know, decomposition and aggregation. You want to be able to drill through the risk to kind of get deeper and deeper. And, you know, one dimension that you can use for that drill through is is absolutely the the sector hierarchy. So, you know, it's pretty much mandatory if you're building a system like this and kind of the lack of standards around that um, are, are definitely not helpful. So it's great to, uh, to see firms, you know, not just providing things like benchmarks, which is another key thing, you know, for like measurement and performance, uh, but the taxonomies as well, uh, and that there's a lot of work going on in that space. The, the other thing is worth pointing out is that's helpful when you're looking at the risk, but it's also helpful as a way of reasoning about and organizing the larger universe of things that you might trade. Because you can start to ask questions like, for instance, is this particular asset uh, vastly underperforming or outperforming its peers? Well, how do you define peers? Well, they're in the same subsector. Uh, you know, that's one way of grouping those assets. And you can do this statistically, but having actually a design categorization can be very useful to reason about like one of these things is not like the other. Uh, and I think a lot of people who come into crypto from traditional finance, they um, you know, often have like just a very vague sense of like, well, this is all the same. And, you know, they, they, it's often based initially on their understanding of Bitcoin. And as they start to get into it, they realize actually there's a lot of structure to those hundreds, thousands of tokens. And they do actually naturally group. And, you know, when you look at the performance, it, it definitely follows. You have whole sectors and subsectors that are traveling together. Uh, and so it can help the the selection process as well about what you might choose to trade, not just like understanding the risk of what you, you already hold. So Carl, yeah, you've taken us on quite the journey in terms of the evolution and the full processes behind your development of this uh, Serenity uh, Risk Analytics Suite. What I'm curious about, and I think what a lot of people will be curious about is what do you envisage being your focus next in terms of serenity or maybe some other app that addresses the same problems? So some of it has to go to the beginning of creating the company, which is 
I have a very strong belief that the future of asset management is not only tokenized, uh, but specifically will involve institutional DeFi. So we're kind of in a transitional moment uh, with all the concerns around counterparty risk uh, and complexity that's kind of caused people to back off from that. Uh, but I do believe that's going forward. And so the fact that our product is kind of focused on CFI instruments right now is something that I really would like to see it expand across both CFI and DeFi and start working on models that that, that capture those uh, those products. The other thing is our starting point quite intentionally was risk models and data sets that were recognizable from traditional finance. And we kind of, in the earlier discussion, alluded to this, that there's just a lot of basic problems to solve and you kind of don't want to jump right into some novel model that people are not going to recognize before you've gotten the basics right. But I do believe that from a risk perspective, there's a lot of interesting information buried on chain that we have not incorporated in the models, that there are novel factors that can be researched and pulled out that will give you insights that are really unique to these digital assets. And then in the very long range, as I kind of alluded to in terms of, uh, of uh, tokenization of assets, I see crypto as a, it's just another underlier. And it's going to be an underlier that's going to be traded alongside real estate and equity and bonds, et cetera, as part of a diversified portfolio. So I'm really excited to see new tokens coming into the space, whether it's Ondo Finance or Benji, et cetera, that actually require traditional risk models like bond analytics and getting those combined in. So that's a longer term part of the vision, but we believe that's going to be incredibly important for asset management in the years ahead as it fully tokenizes. Yeah. Can let me just press press you just real quick um, on one aspect of that. The first part, clearly um, the whole decentralized finance piece probably is a risk analytics uh, boffin's dream perhaps. But um, what intrigues me, I mean, from a very, very top level view, because that's the only level view that I'm capable of actually assessing, is um, in terms of DEX and maybe DAOs, um, what sort of additional information, additional type of system, perhaps a system that we many of us have never conceived of before, do you see possibly emerging from, you know, the, the sort of additional endogenous risks within, a, say, a DEX? Any sort of like top level uh, insights from that? So the one that people usually start with is the smart contract risks. And I do think the whole you know, counterparty risk needs to be rethought. When your counterparty is a piece of code, the nature of the risks is different. And so there are perhaps opportunities to quantify it that today with traditional finance counterparty risk you can't do, but also it just has no precedent. And so kind of getting your heads around that is important. The second thing that I often highlight with people is, is a change in the nature of systemic risk. You know, I think of the model of this whole ecosystem as a giant graph and there's connectivity between all those different parts of it. And so an issue in one part of that graph can rip through the whole ecosystem in ways that uh, perhaps some of the fragmentation in traditional finance, the fact that things are trading on different exchanges, the things that quite frankly, NYSE is not using the same code as the LSE. That is not necessarily true of several DEXs that are all using one inch for routing or that are all delegating for like margin purposes to Aave. And so as a result, something deeper down the stack can potentially create systemic risk. 
And so I think in a future state, the regulators are going to have to figure out ways to reason about all of those relationships and model them uh, and perhaps put in circuit breakers analogous to what's in traditional finance to keep these sort of what I often say is like people get super excited in DeFi about money Legos and they forget that they're all clicked together. And, and, and that means that when one money Lego goes wrong, there's lots of things attached to it that are suddenly going to go wrong. So composition is a double-edged sword. So figuring out ways to understand the consequences of that composition uh, under stress scenarios, I think is going to be really important for the future of finance. That's brilliant. I actually, just hearing you talk about it, I actually can't wait to see what you come up with next. Um, so what I'd like to ask you then, Kyle, is... Um, in terms of people going on with this journey, how can they find out more? There's a couple of things. You can go to our website at cloudwall.tech. If you actually want to see the product, there's uh, a get access button on there uh, and you can schedule a demo. Uh, we publish uh, regular papers, uh, uh, not in academic journals, but on our website. So there's a research section as well. You can read papers about the models we've built so far. Uh, you can follow us on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, so there's lots of options to uh, to learn more. And, you know, this is something, you know, this, there's an emerging community of crypto quants. And so in addition to people who might be interested in the product, we love to talk to people about, you know, ideas and leading edge research into um, uh, risk modeling as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. So, yes, that was uh, Kyle Downey. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cloudwall. And uh, we're really appreciative for him coming on to explain what CloudWall does and what Serenity can do and uh, sort of with a bit of a look to the future as well. So, yeah, we have pretty much come to the end of uh, this one. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've been uh, Ken O'Delega. We've been joined also by Gabe Selby. Now, if you'd like to find out more about CFB, cfbenchmarks.com is the place you need to go. Uh, you can also find links there to additional episodes of CFB Talks Digital Assets, as well as uh, links for um, our archive of um, content and research, which includes a weekly newsletter, uh, monthly market recaps, and quarterly attribution research and data and sort of performance um, readings using the CF digital asset classification structure that Gabe mentioned uh, just there. So yeah, we appreciate your presence. We'll see you again very soon for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets.